0: It's really good uh, to be uh, together this morning. It's really lovely. I've been, uh, Beth and I have been isolating the last two weeks. so We haven't been here uh, in person, but it's been lovely to join um, together online over the last couple of weeks and, and get to worship together as well. So welcome um, at home if you're joining online, but uh, welcome as well uh, if you're here uh, in person this morning. We're on our third and we're on our final week of our Call to Go series of sermons. Uh, and as Wouter and Paul have been encouraging us. We're particularly wanting as a church to think about being called to go as a people and church planting because we have family members, Wouter and Simona and the girls, who are currently off to plant a church. They're in that process and they're going soon. And so as a church family, for those who are staying for now, what does it mean to still be called to go? And that's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. And this morning, as we finish I want to look together as a church about the privilege of partnering in mission, that actually the way the Bible describes partnering across the globe as a global church, that it is a privilege for each one of us. And so that is what we're going to see this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a verse, just one verse. Uh, we'll read a little bit around it, but we'll really focus on one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're just going to park out there uh, and we're going to slowly walk through it and see all that we can learn. And so I'll read it in a second. Uh, but let's have a bit of background to the second letter to the Corinthians. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church in Corinth, uh, which is in Greece. And he knew the church really well. He loved this church. In Acts 18, you can see that he spent over a year, over a year of his life with this church family. We know that he wrote multiple letters to them, two of which we have in our Bible. That's what we call First and Second Corinthians. And so Paul has a long history with this church family. And when we find them, what we find here in 2 Corinthians is that Paul has been walking through a number of issues with them that the church has been struggling with. They'd been led astray by people calling themselves apostles. They were false apostles. And Paul, in this letter, had been slowly helping them come back to the true gospel. So we won't dive into all that that meant, because then we would just be diving into all the intricacies of the wonderful second letters to the Corinthians. But what's important to note about that is in chapters 8 and 9 of this letter, Paul is helping the church who has gone astray to come back, particularly with regard to partnering with churches on mission. Because partnering with the churches used to be a top priority for the Corinthians. But over the months of the various issues that had been going on, it had slowly been slipping down their priority list. They slowly were kind of forgetting about what was God doing outside of them, and they'd become quite insolent. So what Paul was doing is he was gently, lovingly, and effectively opening their eyes again to what God was doing across the globe. Now, why was that particularly important in this passage? Well, because at the time that Paul wrote this, the church in Jerusalem was in a severe famine. We see that in different parts of the New Testament. We we see evidence for that. But the church in Jerusalem was in a severe famine. The church was dying. They were in, in real, real trouble. And so Paul had been going from church to church to collect money, to collect a special offering, to care for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, a church that has forgotten their partnership with the other churches, a church that dropped to the bottom of their priorities and their partnership and mission. And you would imagine, what, what would Paul do? Maybe he'll slap them on the wrist. Why could you forget that? It's so important. You shouldn't have done that. But no, Paul doesn't do that. Maybe he'll pick them up by the ankles and shake them upside down till all the money falls out their pockets to make sure they serve this worthy cause in Jerusalem. But no, Paul doesn't do that. What Paul does is he tells him about a group of churches in Macedonia, friends of his, who had hearts so overflowing with the love of Jesus that they couldn't help but partner on mission. Because you see, for Paul and for us this morning, we need to know that God is much more interested in our hearts than our wallets. But God just knows that poking our wallets is a good way to get to our hearts. So we're going to read the passage this morning. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And it says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, but then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We're going to camp out in verse four as I say, so let me just read that again. They, the Macedonian churches, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. To the Lord's people. We're going to go kind of word by word or phrase by phrase now through that verse and let God shape our hearts. So, where do we start? Verse four. What's the first thing that this verse says? It says they, the Macedonian churches, urgently pleaded. They urgently pleaded. Paul had told them about the famine in Jerusalem, and what was the church's reaction? They were desperate to be part of helping them. I wonder how you react to things. Are you the kind of person that um, reacts inwardly but keeps a poker face? Are you the kind of person who wears your heart on your sleeve? I'm quite a typical Englishman. I, um, I know there are many cultures in the room, so maybe, maybe it's not true of all English people, but maybe it is. But, but I react inwardly, but I keep a poker face. I remember when I was um, a teenager, uh, one of my good friends, uh, I was round at his house and his mum very kindly said, would you like to stay for dinner? Great. Free food, being fed. It's a wonderful thing. And then she said to me, we're having quiche. Now, I don't have anything against quiche in principle, but I wasn't a big fan of eggs. Now, I've grown up, and I quite like quiche now, but at the time, I was not a fan of eggs. And so in my heart, I thought, oh my goodness, I have to get out of this. Maybe I can faint or something, so I have to go home. But outwardly, oh yeah, oh, lovely, lovely. That would be lovely. I don't know how you react to things. Maybe you're not as British as I am. Maybe when you get the bill for your annual service on the car, you immediately pull your hair out and say, how much do you really say that is? However you react, whether in your heart, whether outwardly in your emotions, our reactions to things are really important because they're a little window into our heart, aren't they? They show us something about ourselves. And it's important that we allow ourselves to learn from our reactions because so much of Jesus, following Jesus is not about just what we do, though that's very important, but why we do things. The heart behind it. You see, two people can do the same thing. You could ask Beth to bake uh, for, for an event and her heart would be filled with joy. She loves baking. She'd be, oh yeah, that'd be brilliant. You can ask me to bake for an event and maybe you'll convince me to do it and through gritted teeth, I'll say, okay, fine, I'll do that. I'll be anxious for weeks and I'll probably produce cookies that taste like soap. Two people can do the same thing, but their heart can be very different. And that's important. That matters to God. I wonder how we all reacted when we talked today in the last few weeks about our gift day. I wonder whether we reacted excitedly. Wow, I finally get to be part of something I've been hearing about for months and even over a year. Maybe with curiosity, I wonder what this church plant is all about, what what is this? I'd love to find out more. Maybe you've reacted with worry. Is this something I can really take part in? I, I don't really know if I have a part I can play or confusion. I'm not sure why we're doing this. Sometimes we can react out of duty, can't we? I, I have to do this. I don't really have a choice. Maybe that's how we feel. And sometimes we can react out of resentment. Why was I asked to do this? Now let me be clear. Any of these reactions is okay. Any of these reactions is okay. If we allow God with soft and open hearts to shape us. Because each one of us comes with our own reactions, with our own, uh, with our own baggage that we come to everything with. And we want to say to God this morning and every day, Lord, to you my heart is open. Speak to me, shape me. And so however you came this morning, whatever reaction, we can be honest before God and with each other, that's okay. But let each one of us come to God with open hearts, and let him shape us. Because God is much more interested in our hearts than our wallets. So the Macedonian church, how did they react? They urgently pleaded. Now this was a church where giving and partnering on mission was not easy. We read it in our passage. It says they were in a time of severe trial. It said they had extreme poverty. And so partnering as the churches was not an easy thing for them to do. And yet, it was in their heart to do it. They were desperate to partner with Paul on mission. They were desperate to be part of what God was doing. They urgently pleaded. And so, as we look through the rest of this verse, and we'll go much quicker along the rest of the verse, let us ask the question, God, what did the Macedonian church have in their heart? What was it that shaped their heart that I can be shaped by this morning? Okay. Should we start going a bit quicker through the passage? Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. So, the first bit of the passage of verse 4 said they urgently pleaded. Why? Well, the next bit tells us they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. The Macedonian church was so keen to partner with Paul on mission because they considered it a privilege. It was a joy to them. It was out of the delight of their heart that they wanted to engage with mission. It was out of the love that overflowed in them that they wanted to be part of it. It wasn't under compulsion. It wasn't begrudging. No, it was a joy to them. And do you know something crazy? It says they considered it a privilege. That means when they thought about the costly giving, they thought about that as a blessing to them. Not just as a blessing to the, the other churches, to Jerusalem, but a blessing to them. The word privilege in the NIV is the word, favor maybe in in a different translation. The Greek word underneath that is charis, which means grace. That's the word the Bible usually translates as grace. And so the Macedonian churches considered giving sacrificially as God's blessing to them. Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) That's mind-blowing to me. They considered it God's privilege to them to get to partner sacrificially with the churches. So they considered it a privilege. But why? Well, what does the next bit of our verse say? They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Who were the Macedonian churches? Well, there were a few big cities in Macedonia. It wasn't super near Corinth. This was a different part of the Roman Empire. But there were a few big cities there. Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. But these guys, the Macedonian churches, were a poor group of small house churches around these cities. They didn't have a lot. They didn't have a good. They didn't have like a big famous reputation. They weren't a famous city like Corinth necessarily. They, they were just a bunch of Christians trying to follow Jesus the best they could, and yet they knew, oh, this is a privilege to share in this service. They knew that they were being caught up in something that God was doing much bigger than themselves. They were partnering with the other churches across Macedonia. More than that, they were partnering with the other churches across the whole Roman Empire, even the big cities like Corinth down in Greece. They considered it a privilege because they knew it was an enormous privilege for a little church like them to be caught up in the enormous plans of God. And what was this service? Well, our last part of verse four, it was a service to the Lord's people. It wasn't just doing anything. It was serving their brothers and sisters. It was serving the people of God. Now, Jerusalem was hundreds of miles away, over a thousand miles away from Macedonia. They hadn't met these people. They hadn't met the brothers and sisters they were giving to, and yet they counted it a privilege because they knew they were brothers and sisters. They were God's people. So no matter that they hadn't met them, they knew they were God's people. So why were they keen to partner with Paul? Because they counted it a privilege. When we talk about church planting, it can feel quite far off. Maybe you've been down to Cambridge, where Beth and I came from, for an Enough Prayer meeting. Maybe you joined the RM online, uh, video to hear about a number of churches on, on YouTube. Maybe um, you've been to the church in Ipswich or Norwich on a lead training day or for a conference. That would be true of some of us, but not all of us. And and even with those churches in Cambridgeshire and Norfolk, they're right on our border. Some of us feel really close because we know people there, and some of us feel distant. So then, as we start to talk about what relational mission, which is our family of churches that we at Life Church are part of, when we start to talk about churches and planting churches in places like Lille, places like Nijmegen in Holland, places like uh, Brussels, and then even further afield out of Europe, places like Seoul in South Korea, and Nagoya in Japan, and and even Liverpool in the other side of this country, these far afield places. Sorry. Um, (laughs) We can feel, is this something I can really be part of? Or is this something just so distant and so alien from me that why it doesn't affect my life? We have the opportunity, Life Church, to be like the Macedonians. We can say, no, what God is doing there, we got to be part of. What God is doing across the churches, I got to be part of because I gave money on the gift day for Nijmaker and I prayed for the churches in Ukraine. And I visited my friends in different churches in the UK. And I stood by my friends in prayer when it was getting tough in a pioneering situation. We can say, even with brothers and sisters, we will never meet in person, though, praise God for Zoom, because many of us will be much more connected than Paul and the Macedonians were. But we can say of people we will never meet until glory, I served them. I got to be part of what God was doing around the world. It is a privilege to share in this service to the Lord's people. But I think we mustn't forget that this was a very trying time for the churches in Macedonia. This was not a fun, light-hearted thing for them to do. Partnering in mission with others back then and today is not easy. You see, the Macedonian church was in a very difficult position themselves. We read in 8 verse 2, they were in the middle of a severe trial, it says. In verse 3, we hear they are themselves extremely poor. It was not easy for them to partner in mission with Paul and the churches. And the mission was not a lighthearted and fun thing. They weren't fundraising for, 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 for a trampoline or something. There was a famine in Jerusalem. This was a serious and a sobering thing that was going on. It was urgent. Many of us have been sobered and horrified by what has been happening in Ukraine over the last weeks. And I think the elders and I have been very moved by a number of messages from different people in the church family to us saying we must do something as a church family. And I know that many of you have given personally, financially, to different initiatives in Ukraine. I know many of you are praying daily for what is happening in that nation I know many of you are joining the morning prayer meeting that we do across the churches for that nation. And we've just got to realise that these are dark days for the churches. These are not easy times. And sadly, for the last 2,000 years and until Jesus comes again, we will be living in one way or another in dark days for the churches. And so in days like this, how do we keep a joy and that sense of privilege in partnering in mission. Because I don't know about you, but it's so easy to become apathetic. Some things are in the news today, but tomorrow they're gone. Foucher and Simona are right here this morning, but in a year's time, they, they, they won't be here physically. And it can be easy to fall into apathy. Oh, does it? It doesn't matter anymore. Or maybe not apathy, maybe hopelessness. Maybe we look at situations around the world, we're praying for things that we've been praying for 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 five years, 10 years, 20 years, and we think, nothing's changed. The issues are still there or worse. It can be easy to fall into hopelessness. So how as Christians, especially as we think about partnering with the global church of God, partnering with other uh, churches around the world, how do we not fall into those traps of apathy or hopelessness? Well, it's the Sunday school answer. But Jesus is the one who changes how we approach this. Because what did the Macedonians have? What was the thing that really welled up in their hearts to make them desperate to join and partner on mission? It was what verse 9 tells us. For they knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. They knew that the Lord Jesus, even though he was God himself, glorious in splendor and majesty, had come down to earth. He had given up his position and come down to earth. More than that, he even gave his life in a brutal and violent death. More than that, he took on himself the sin and the shame of all of us. Jesus himself though rich, came to great poverty. Why? So that we might become rich. So that we might have forgiveness of our sins, that we might have a restored relationship first with the Father and then with one another. So that we might have the privilege of eternal life. Riches, that Jesus gave us are things that nothing on earth can compare with. You see, there is no bank balance that can restore what Jesus offers us. There is no family security. There is no peace in our nations. And you see, the riches that Jesus offers us, nothing can take away. No financial crash, no war no famine, no death. And so the Macedonian church knew it was their privilege to partner on mission, even when it was costly to them, because they knew just how rich they were in Jesus. And so as we end, I want to ask us again, where are our hearts this morning? Because as we think about all the practical ways that we want to partner with Plant and as we think about the gift day and what we can give, as we think about the fact that as a church, we've already given Voucher and Simona away. That's a costly thing to us as a family. As we think about the prayer and the time that we can give, before all of those things, we need to know the generosity of Christ to us. Because if we don't know that Jesus offers us something that nothing in the world can offer us, and if we don't know that what Jesus offers us nothing on earth can take away, then we will never know the joy of partnering with Him in His generosity, because we cannot outgive the Giver. I want to respond uh, in in three simple ways. Firstly. Do you know for yourself the generosity of Jesus? Do you know deep in your heart the riches that Jesus offers you? Because if you don't, and you want to, Jesus offers them freely to you. And I would love for you to speak to the person that you came with this morning who does know Jesus um, or, or knows that deep within themselves, or to come and speak to me or one of the elders this morning so we can talk about it and pray about it and let you know that richness that Jesus offers so freely. But I would also love to end with communion because it is in that place of taking bread and wine, remembering and partaking in the death and resurrection of Jesus that our hearts are lifted again to all that he's done for us. And then after that, I would love to pray. I would love to pray for Walter and Simona and the girls because yes, I want to give generously to them this morning and next week. But yes, I want to be praying Regularly for all that God is doing in Plant Narimaker. We had the privilege of praying for Simona and the girls as well this morning when they were here at Glow. Um, we're just going to have to put up with Wouter um, in the second service. No, we're, we're, but, but we're going to take communion now and then we'll have the privilege of praying with them. So, um, yeah, thank you, uh, Gary. Uh, you'll just play um, some music um, for us. But we're going to take uh, communion together. And so as Paul hands around um, the communion, I'm going to read that verse 9 again from our passage. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we recognize your generosity. Before anything you call us to do, before anything you capture us up into, you, Lord, gave everything for us. You are the great, generous one. And so we worship you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you, and most outrageously, we take part in your generosity as we take communion this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the wine together now.